There are lots of uh, different emotions swirling around in this world. Three of them are probably familiar to all of us at some level. Sadness, fear, hopelessness. These are emotions that probably we've all felt at some point. Maybe some of you are feeling some of that or all of that right now, and almost certainly we will feel those things in the future. Sometimes sadness or fear or hopelessness can grip us in the middle of the night for no reason. And sometimes they've got a stranglehold of us in the middle of the day with good reason. Sometimes they're very temporary. They come and then they go. Other times they seem permanent and it feels like nothing is going to make them lift. We're going to look at a story today. It's a really simple story. It's in Luke's Gospel. And it's a story where we just kind of see some uh, action happen very quickly. But in the midst of it, there's an incredible sense of that emotional heaviness. In just a couple of words, we're going to see a person who is overwhelmed with sadness, who is probably completely gripped with fear, and who is absolutely hopeless in human terms. And we're going to see that person meet Jesus. Uh, at this point of this series that we're in right now is called Mentored by the Master. We're, we're really going through these chapters in Luke, watching Jesus and kind of being mentored by him. And I suppose that happens in a couple of ways. One way is you watch him and you, you're kind of gripped by who he is and what he does and how he acts. And, and then you find yourself wanting to be like him. It's sort of like a, a mentoring of your character. And there's nothing wrong with being like Jesus, of course. But the other way that mentoring uh, kind of works, I hope, in this series is that you look at him, you watch him, you see him in action, and it affects your relationship with him today. That's really the purpose of this message. If the uh, kind of bottom line of this message is that we all go away saying, yes, I want to be kind like Jesus, that's great, but it kind of misses the point. I think that these seven verses that we're going to look at are going to really speak to us in terms of our connection with him. If you like, instead of putting ourselves in his sandals and trying to be like him, we're going to maybe put ourselves in the sandals of the person that's hurting and recognize that his care for her is his care for us. So let's read the story. It's in Luke chapter 7. I think I did look up the page number and literally forgot it straight away. 863, I knew someone would rescue me. Page 863 in the church Bible, Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. Let me read that to you. That's John 7, so that's not going to help. That would be a lot longer. Luke 7, starting at verse 11. Soon afterward, well, sorry, I, I'm not going to interrupt everything that I say, but I'll interrupt myself there. Just a reminder that last week, if you were here, you'll remember, I think you were over there. I couldn't tell because I was watching online. Uh, but Andy uh, spoke from the first 10 verses about the centurion, this man with huge authority in his, in his work, in his uh, everyday life, sending to Jesus for help for his servant. Okay, so last week we saw Jesus healing, uh, kind of showing his authority over disease. The, the centurion was impressed with Jesus' great authority. So after that... It says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. 
and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the beer. Is that how you pronounce that word? And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Nice short story. Nain is a, a little town. It, in fact, just thinking about it, it's up in Galilee. Uh, if you're familiar with, you know, if you've driven around Galilee a lot, it's uh, I think about seven miles southeast of Nazareth, 20 miles from Capernaum. If you're not familiar with it, don't worry. But it's kind of a little bit like this, not so built up with secondary schools, but kind of like, you know, rolling green hills. It's a beautiful part of the country. And the coming to this little town, uh, it says that Jesus is there with his disciples and there's a crowd with him. There's already kind of an entourage and they're arriving at the town of Nain uh, where they encounter a funeral procession. Okay, this uh, young man has died. His body uh, wrapped and laid on a, a plank of wood. That's literally kind of the way it's being handled. They're carrying this body out to bury it probably in a family tomb, probably next to his dad. And, and there's this woman, just the widow who now has lost her son. She's walking with the body to the tomb. You almost don't need words to, to describe the emotion of that, right? Just to try to, to imagine what that's like. It's devastating, of course, to lose a spouse. But it's, it's different and in, in a way it's worse, isn't it, to lose a child. And it's worse still because this woman... Uh, the age of the child indicates the age of the woman, right? Uh, he's uh, kind of a youth or a young man. The fact that he is now dead means that she is now in trouble in a major, major way. They didn't have uh, kind of government help in those days. She wouldn't have started to receive a check from anywhere. Her protection, her provision, her life was wrapped up first of all in her husband and then when he died in this young man who was going to work and he was going to provide for his mother. He was going to uh, care for her. He was going to be her retirement plan. And now he's dead. I mean, this is as bad as it can be. We're told it's her only son. It's not like there's two or three more, you know, waiting in the wings. The fact that he's a young man means in all likelihood that she's not of an age where she can marry again and have another one. So this whole situation is incredibly bleak. Sadness, grief, fear and hopelessness about the future. I mean, just, just try to imagine what she was going through. And here comes Jesus with this other group of people. Now, we, I want to be careful how I say this, we're very alert to the issue of death because we've heard nothing else for the last 18 months. But really, we're quite sheltered, aren't we, as a culture? I was just reading an article this morning and it was talking about how people in our culture regularly get into their 40s, 50s, even 60s without ever having to deal with death. And often the first time they see death is when they lose a parent 
That's very different from the world that this woman was living in. This woman was living in a world where death was fairly common and death was not hidden away in you know, locked buildings and sort of uh, covered with euphemisms. It was a reality that, that they had to get used to and to live with. And so all that to say, for Jesus and his group of disciples and his crowd, they're coming to Nain for some reason. Don't know what the reason is. Maybe they had a meeting on the other side of town. Maybe they were just passing through. Whatever the reason was, there was in their culture every reason to just kind of, you know, respectfully bow the head and, and let it pass by. Kind of the way we used to act in our country when a hearse drove past. You know, you'd sort of respectfully stop. Just recognize the moment. They could have done that. They could have just let this procession go on. After all, there's a group of people. This is a group of people. We don't, you know, don't want to interrupt. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus gets involved. I think that's really important. He doesn't just kind of watch it from a distance. He doesn't just let it pass by. He takes the initiative. Notice what it says. Uh, he, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, First time it says the word Lord for Jesus, I believe in Luke's gospel, if you're into that sort of thing. But when the Lord saw her, don't miss this, he had compassion on her. He, he didn't just you know, bow his head and kind of make a respectful gesture. His heart welled up inside of him because he knew what she was facing. He knew what she was feeling. Her feelings mattered to him. The sadness, the grief, the fear, the hopelessness, his heart responded to it. His heart kind of leapt for her. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? That he saw her and when he saw her, his heart just was turned and churned inside of him. He couldn't just stand there and do nothing. His feelings were so stirred that he reached out. And so he took the initiative. It tells us that he uh, had compassion on her and he said to her, do not weep, which wouldn't be particularly helpful if it weren't for what comes next. Okay, so then he came up and he touched the plank that this body was on, maybe just to stop the people carrying it. He touched it and then the good bit. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. Can you imagine being there for that? How cool is that? That's the best kind of funeral, right? A funeral where you get to hang out with the person who's dead afterwards. I mean, that's the best kind of funeral. And so he, he says, arise, young man, get up. And with that, the body came back to life. It, I suppose we tend to call that a resurrection. Technically, it's not a resurrection because the young man grew old and died. This is a resuscitation. All right, resuscitation, a word we use when somebody, you know, the heart has stopped and, and they're gone, but you resuscitate, they can come back. That's something that happens with you know good medical care it doesn't happen hours later right so it's a miracle it's a resuscitation and it's a miraculous resuscitation everybody's gathered the funeral is happening the whole town is there presumably because they recognize the seriousness and the sadness of the situation and everybody gets to see this body that's lying there all wrapped ready for burial sit up that's impressive but it's, it's a kind of a weird story in the sense that it's powerful, right? Just like last week with the centurion, Jesus speaks the word and something happens for his servant. That's power. That's authority. This is more authority. 
This is greater power, not just power over disease, not just authority over illness. This is authority over death itself. That should get everyone's attention. And yet the way that Luke presents the story is not just, wow, look at the greater power. It's, yeah, greater power. Look at the compassion. He feels compassion for this woman. And so he does this miracle. And then beautifully, I love the little phrase after that, the dead man sat up and began to speak. I'd love to know what he said. And Jesus, look at this phrase, gave him to his mother. What a gift. There she was facing unending hopelessness, permanent fear for the future, sadness and grief that she would assume would never lift. And Jesus gives her the one thing that can take all of that away. It's beautiful, isn't it? He felt compassion. He took the initiative. She doesn't have to say anything. She doesn't have to say, yes, I have faith or anything like that. He just does it and he gives. What a beautiful picture that is. And so he gives this young man back to his mother. So we see her sadness, her grief, her fear, her hopelessness. Then we see Jesus taking the initiative, stirred by this incredible compassion that he felt for her. We see his total authority and his personalized compassion coming together. And then we get the response of the people at the end of the story. It's quite straightforward, isn't it? Verse 16, fear seized them all as it would right? If you were at a funeral where this happened, you would also be freaked out. And so fear seized them all and they glorified God. And they say two things. One, a great prophet has arisen among us. And two, God has visited his people. Now, these are kind of phrases that make sense for them. Okay, if you, uh, if you were living in uh, first century Israel, down in Judea or up north in Galilee where this happened, you would be very familiar with your Old Testament. If you're Jewish, you'd you'd know the stories, right? The stories you were told when you went to synagogue on a Sabbath, the stories you were told at bedtime, the stories you were told on your grandparents' lap, all that kind of stuff. A lot of those stories from the Old Testament would be wrapped up in the two characters, Elijah and Elisha, because they are good stories, right? Like, metal things floating and dead people getting brought back to life and like miraculous stuff. Elijah, Elisha is kind of where the action is in the Old Testament, right? And both of them have stories essentially of resuscitating the son of somebody, of a widow, right? This, This would have felt really familiar to them. Now, if we had time, we could go back and we could look at those stories. They're in our Old Testaments. And we could read them. And what you'd notice is on the, 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 both of the occasions or both of the stories that, that I'm thinking of, it, it's kind of an involved process. I mean, one of them, uh, the prophet, I, I forget, was it Elijah or Elisha? He's like lying on top of the body seven times and doing all this kind of rigmarole. Uh, and it was still a miracle from God, but he had to kind of go through this process and eventually, whoo, he's back, good. Rescued him and, uh, you know, resuscitated child given back to the parent, wonderful. Jesus just speaks. He's not kind of working up a sweat trying to get this person back, right? It's not like a long-term CPR kind of situation. He, he just says, get up. That's power. And when they saw that power, they were blown away and they're like, whoa, we've got a prophet among us again. After all these centuries, like Elijah and Elisha, all the stories we've heard our whole lives, here's another one. Well, they're not wrong. 
right? He is a prophet. He is a spokesperson from God and he is doing miracles by the power of God. So sure, yeah, he's kind of like Elijah, Elisha. The other thing they said is God has visited his people. What they mean by that is the power of God has been seen in our midst. It's as if God who is sat on the throne out there somewhere has intervened in our local circumstances through this good man. Praise the Lord, God has visited his people. But they're not wrong again, are they? Because what they don't realize is that this person is the son of God. It's not just he's empowered by him, like he is literally God the Son from all eternity, has stepped into our world, has been born as a human, has grown up, and here he is in name. They didn't realize how true it was, but God definitely was visiting his people right there in their midst. And so that was their response. Better response than they realized. The point of this story is not that we should be more kind at funerals. But if you have a tendency to not be kind at funerals, then I would encourage you, be kind at funerals, right? But, but that's not the point of this story. It's not uh, here in our Bibles so that we go, oh yeah, good point. I, I do need to be more kind, more sensitive and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But this is not here just so that we all try to be more like Jesus. If we could pull off the miracle of raising people, now that might achieve something, but that's not really what it's there for, is it? It's not saying be more like Jesus. What it's saying is you're kind of like that widow. Either now or in the future, you're going to find yourself in a situation where sadness, grief just grip you or where fear seems to just enclose around you and it seems to be permanent, where hopelessness has no end at the tunnel, no light to be seen. It's just dark and you just feel pressed down by it. If you're not there now, you could be there soon. We all could. And so what's this story saying? This story is saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, not because you need to be more like him, but because you need him. Look at Jesus and recognize that he, he doesn't just nod his head at your troubles. He sees. He knows how you feel. He feels for you when you're churned up so is he and when you feel that sadness that fear that hopelessness descending like a heavy black blanket over your life and you feel like there's no way forward Jesus's heart just breaks for you and what does he do well he takes initiative he wants to come to you he wants to get involved he wants to be right there with you in the midst of your struggles the beautiful thing about this story is it's really quite simple. He's got total authority. There is nothing that he cannot do. Not even death causes him to fret and stress and, oh, well, that's beyond me. No, if he can deal with death, he can deal with anything. He's got total authority, absolute power, but also he's got that incredible personalized compassion. I think that's what we need to take away from this. I think most of us know the kind of exam answer is yes, Jesus can do whatever he wants. The issue is not the, do we believe that he can do whatever he wants? Maybe the issue is more, do we believe that he wants to do anything? What does he want? Is his heart toward us? Does he see us? Does he feel our pain? Does he feel our struggle? Does he feel 
when we're churned up? And the answer is, yes, he does. Last week, a story about a, a powerful outsider. This week, a story about a desperately weak insider. Both of them unnamed. That last week, the guy had all the authority in the world. This week, this woman had nothing. Nothing at all. And I think it's important we recognize what's going on here because there are times when we kind of hit the wall in life and it's easy for us to think, well, yeah, Jesus can and Jesus will for someone else. You know, for, for someone else in the church who's really holy, but not me. Or someone else in society who's really important, but not me. I'm a nobody. She was a nobody. But every nobody to Jesus is somebody. And that's why we should come away from this story with confidence, not that somehow we're able to, you know, solve our issues in life. No, we can't. There are times when we literally can't do a thing about what we're facing. But we have someone who cares, someone who sees, someone who knows, and he has total authority and he has personalized compassion. During the night when your child will not sleep, and you don't think you can make it another hour. He sees and he feels. When you read that news report and it scares you, and you've never felt scared like it before, he sees you. When you get the phone call or you receive the news or you hear you know, of somebody being in the hospital, whatever it is, when the darkness seems to descend upon us, Jesus sees, Jesus cares. He has total authority and he has personalized compassion for you. It's just a little story, but I think it's an important one. Maybe one for us to take away and ponder, one for us to kind of chew on a little bit more. Maybe one for us to sort of tuck away for the day when we're going to need it. When we feel like we're walking to a funeral and there's no light at the end of the tunnel, there's nothing more to come, Jesus sees us. He cares about us. And he will take the initiative when there's no faith in us to fix anything. He moves in our direction. Because that's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of God that we have. And that's the kind of God who invites us to be in a relationship with him. What do you think? Do you want that? Because the offer is there for every one of us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You say, yeah, but I, he's taken care of the yeah, but I part of it. That's what the cross was for. For all the things you've done or said or thought about doing, all the attitudes, all the struggles, all the mess, all the skeletons in the closet, all of the junk, Jesus went to the cross, paid the price, died in your place so that you would not be defined by your sin, by your guilt, by your shame, by what you've done or by what's been done to you. He's taken care of that. And his invitation is for every one of us. He's proven that he loves us. He just invites us to accept that love. Accept the gift that he wants for us. If you've never trusted him for salvation, I'd encourage you, don't leave it. Don't wait. His arms are wide open. The invitation is there for you. And if you want to know more, please come and talk to me or Andy who is up here or Ben or anyone that you know. We'd be thrilled to talk to you about that.
And for the rest of us, those of us who've known him for a while, there's a sense in which we never move beyond the gospel. That, that basic message of God's love offered to us, that's what we need, isn't it, every day? Just to remember, I don't have to have my act together. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have fixed everything. I'm still a mess, or maybe I'm more of a mess. Maybe this fear feels greater than ever before. Whatever it is, just know that whether you've been a Christian for one week or 50 years, he sees you, he loves you, and he comes to you with total authority and personalized compassion. All we need to do is accept that. Thank him for it and maybe lean into the relationship that he so dearly wants to have with us. Why don't we just take a moment before I pray just to, just to pause and think, where, where am I at? Is there something that's weighing on me? Is there a, a sadness, a grief, a fear, a hopelessness? Is there something that that I'm feeling, maybe just pause and ponder the fact that there is a God who loves you and his son is feeling for you, reflecting his father's heart, the heart of God for you. Let's just pause for a moment. Maybe you want to talk to him about that and then I'll pray and the band will come up and we'll respond with some more songs of worship. Let's just pause for a moment. Father in heaven, we come to you as people who, who know what it's like to feel those sometimes weighty, sometimes very negative emotions. And Lord, we just want to thank you. Thank you that you have taken the initiative. Thank you that you demonstrate for us in this story that we've seen how you see what we go through, how you feel with us the things that we feel. Lord, we pray, I pray that each one of us would be really aware of your care for us in the coming days. Whether we're feeling sadness and hopelessness and fear right now or whether that's something that's going to come in the future. Maybe we just pause and think and anticipate things that we that we've generally avoid or ignore, but we know they're coming. Whatever it is, Lord, I thank you that you see us and you care for us and Lord, I just pray that your absolute authority and your personalized compassion would thrill our hearts, draw us to you, whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time, Lord, that we would lean into the relationship that you want to have with us. And from the bottom of our hearts, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being so good and so kind to people like me and like us who so don't deserve it. We pray that you would carry us through these next days and weeks and months and years, whatever they hold. Lord, we thank you that you see 
you care and you're able to be there in the midst of it with us. We pray and worship you again now in Jesus' name. Amen.